Where does Zimbabwe, Professor, start by beginning to build or rebuild its economy? I think it, uh, Zimbabwe, like any other country in that situation, should start where the new president has started, which is a message of uh, political stability, social unity. But beyond that, then there's a whole lot of technical work that needs to be done. And that has got broadly three strands that need to be done at the same time. They cannot be sequenced. At one level, uh, immediately, as he said, he must hit the ground running with respect to uh, regulatory or legislative changes, with respect to the security, with respect to the Constitution, and with respect to the uh, political uh, economic regulations, so if you like, security of property rights. Um, because then the notion of uh, your assets, your investments, whether it's land, whether it's banks, whether it's manufacturing or mining, not being secure legally is not helpful for rebuilding the country. So that's one strand of legislative reform that they have to do. The second thing is they need to rebuild the system, the banking system, the financial system broadly, um, and the trade system. But for that, Zimbabwe needs financial aid from outside. And that is a serious engagement with uh, donor community as well as with the IMF and the World Bank. So there is a great deal of uh, financial injection, if you like, on either grant basis or on soft loan, long duration debt that needs to be injected into the economy based on the reform of the system. And the third one is to bring back investors. And these are all interrelated. And there are a great deal of Zimbabweans outside who have money and capabilities who would want to go, but if they are given assurance and given the right terms, uh, on a continuous basis. And the, the emphasis is one uh, positive speech is not going to do it. And the new president has to stay the course continuously and show that he is dealing with corruption, he is dealing with abuse of power, he is dealing with all these uncertainties, and then um, the, the, the process can begin. Now, the president had his speech yesterday. He spoke about agriculture. He, 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 he spoke about the export and import controls uh, and economic reform. But is that enough, you think? Um, it's a start. Again, uh, speaking about this thing sounds good and it's, uh, it's necessary, but it's not sufficient. What is sufficient is to put a team together that can literally come to the hey, start changing and demonstrate that he means what he says. And so uh, statements, uh, given that Zimbabwe had now over two decades of abuse of power, uh, statements by politicians is not going to cut it. It's important, and it's great that he did it. He did say it. But he has to now demonstrate that um, in action um, what he wants to do with respect to trade and with respect to the property rights are going to be protected. And that requires uh, both putting people who are credible in charge of the various portfolios and secondly, introducing the right legislative reforms. Is foreign investment all it's going to take, foreign direct investment for that matter, or is it also from within Zimbabwe? And, uh, foreign direct investment is not going to flow unless Zimbabweans themselves demonstrate that they believe their government, they believe their, their new uh, wave of reform, 
and they see it as credible. If they see it as credible, then foreigners will follow them, or Zimbabwean expatriates will will follow the domestic uh, level of confidence and voting with your feet, so to speak. If, if the domestic Zimbabweans begin to vote with their feet, invest, and engage, and demonstrate that they have confidence in what the government says, then the rest will follow, not the other way around. Now, you spoke about uh, political stability and uh, logistical reforms, as well as the banking sector and the trade. But what about policy certainty for Zimbabwe? Is that a problem? It's absolutely a problem, and that comes back to the question of of political reform. If a multi-party across political spectrum begins to participate in, give input, and demonstrate confidence in the change of political reform and political stability, then that would demonstrate that political stability is going to stay and sustain over time. But if the government and the, and the governing party begins to do it unilaterally, and the opposition parties are left out, and opposition parties demonstrate skepticism and doubt and opposition, and they are not heard, then that means the political stability is not going to 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 sustain and therefore everything else will just wait and see the controversial indigenization policy or program uh, is that one of the programs that be sh- that should be done away with and scrapped altogether no we cannot scrap it and not just in zimbabwe the, uh, the, the whole continent we need to have effective indigenization or empowerment or incorporation of the marginalized individuals and population, whatever language we use, it amounts to the same thing. The economic system should be so designed as to give access to the majority of population. Now, you can call it indigenization, you can call it economic empowerment. Therefore, you cannot do away with it. And I think the president touched on it. But the manner in which you empower, the manner in which you indigenize, the policy framework within which uh, and the effectiveness with which you indigenize is the key, not the concept of indigenization. Indigenization, if you don't do it, remains a big risk to investors, to the political stability. But doctor, let's take a look at what Zimbabwe has got uh, in terms of resources. What has it got to offer the world? Zimbabwe, I think, like many other uh, nations, their the biggest asset is their people. Mm. Uh, if, if people are not uh, uh, un- developed and they are not engaged, then all other assets really don't mean much um, for the people. So Zimbabweans are, are capable, robust, and, and skillful individuals. Uh, on top of it, Zimbabwe is a very productive agriculture land. It's got mineral resources in proportion to its population. It's well-resourced. Um, the question is how do we combine those resources and get the majority of capable people involved? Uh, and they're not just capable, they're also hard-working, which is very important. Therefore, uh, Zimbabwe is well-placed based on its human skills and its natural resources to turn the economy around within a five to seven years if the political leadership across the board can maintain political stability and if they can jointly agree on a set of economic policies that they regard as conducive to development and prosperity. Now, 
James Madula on the Facebook page, echo your words. He says, big task ahead for the men of the moment, the man of the moment, Manangagwa. He should inspire investor confidence and work together with the opposition parties to rebuild Zimbabwe. Zimbabweans are hard workers and they will succeed within five or seven years. He must not facilitate state capture like Mugabe and Zuma. No, I think uh, that is, I mean, 100% agree with those sentiments. Um, but at the same time, uh, we mustn't underestimate the level of short-term foreign need, foreign aid that, that Zimbabwe needs in terms of um, capitalization of an economy that is broken. You need to restart the, 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 the economy, and that requires uh, reasonable and sizable and favorable in terms of cost of capital uh, injection into the economy within a revised and reformed system. Where will that support come from in relation to investment, uh, mainly from Britain or China, you think, or even South Africa? All of the above. It's not the either or. The globe at the moment is such that we cannot have the sort of old style and dichotomies and, and, and polarization. China has, has already invested in, in, in Zimbabwe, and therefore it has every interest to, um, to ensure that the, the economy gets going as fast as possible. UK has already expressed interest in, in being part of rebuilding Zimbabwe, and, and others uh, in European Union and others in Japan, uh, as well as, of course, the big numbers would have to come from the IMF, in the form of, and the World Bank, in the form of long-term uh, loan on favorable terms. Mm-hmm. How did the uh, collapse of the Zimbabwean economy impact it on South Africa, Doctor? In many ways. Uh, first of all, and immediately we had uh, an estimated 800,000 to 2.5 million. I've heard all these numbers, nobody knows. But it's a massive number of dislocation of Zimbabweans who who were forced to, to cross the border, and, uh, and that was uh, an imposition on the, on the South African economy. Of course, a lot of them are productive and, and became very, very productive members of the society, but nonetheless, it was an adverse effect. At the second level, uh, in terms of the perception, given that we are in the same neighborhood, it created a lot of instability in the minds of of investors in the in the in the in the minds of those who rate the region, um, and that was a very adverse effect. And thirdly, to the extent that South Africa was left in a very unenviable position of not having to object to these policies openly, but at the same time have to be seen to be supporting our fellow African leaders, it ended up being complicit in this process. And now, now, talking about South Africa's uh, economy, S&P Global has downgraded South Africa's foreign-denominated uh, debt to triple to double B, rather stable outlook from uh, double B plus negative outlook. What does this now mean for us, uh, Professor? It means that with the South African economy is slowly sliding, um, uh, and Moody's at the same time has put us up for review. And all of that is, uh, means exactly what you and I know. Our fiscal situation is degenerating, our policy uncertainty is degenerating, and therefore our growth prospects is diminishing. The Reserve Bank also downgraded next year's growth and the following year's growth prospects. It's exactly the same. So everybody is 
coming to the same conclusion that the current political policy environment uh, supported by state capture or, or symbolized by state capture and all the debates that we have around the lack of credibility and legitimacy of, of political leadership at the moment puts a big question mark on the ability of the economy to perform and to put itself out of its job at the moment. That's what it means. And therefore, the prospects of job creation, the prospects of GDP growth, more taxes and more support for the disadvantaged is now diminishing rapidly.